My name is Egbert Perry, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Integral Group, and this is Create the Village, a podcast that provides a platform where leaders from the private, public, and nonprofit sectors come together to speak candidly about the challenges facing American cities. We decided to use the following statement for the promo trailer of Create the Village. Cities across the United States are experiencing an urban renaissance. More people want to live in walkable communities near amenities that don't require a car trip. But as baby boomers and millennials compete for some of the same real estate, and as construction and production costs are on the rise, the cost to purchase a home is going up, contributing to the affordable housing crisis. Create the Village was intended to be a podcast about the intersection of public policy and community development. We've been working on the podcast for some time. Both the design and production predated the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, we had wrapped production on eight podcasts and were preparing to launch when the pandemic struck. Initially, we decided to delay. The prevailing opinion most people held then, albeit naive in retrospect, was that businesses would temporarily close, the kids would have an unannounced vacation from the classroom, and we'd all be back at it within a few weeks. Of course, we soon learned that wasn't the case. Once it was obvious that we were looking beyond a two-week horizon, we decided to push pause on the original show design and to redesign the launch by taking a look at how COVID would impact community development. It was less than 120 days ago, but in many ways, it feels much longer. And incidentally, the events of the last week have made it seem even longer. I wanted to use this last episode to share my thoughts about where we are roughly 120 days into this new era. We're going to take a few weeks off, and then we'll be back up with new episodes in July. Here's what we learned from the many experts on the front lines with whom we spoke. First, as much as the American story is one of economic strength, in the end, we're not alone on this planet. Surprisingly, for many people, this fact appears to be a new realization. When a world calamity strikes, a hollow drumbeat of rhetorical American exceptionalism cannot be the strategy. History shows us that geopolitical disruptions occur when the world is distracted. And believe me, the world is distracted. So let's summarize this first learning as the interconnectedness of our economies and of our politics requires a more global view than we've embraced historically. Next learning. Despite the tendency to criticize government, we were reminded of our reliance on good government. Whether you look at the state's departments of health, local school districts, or the U.S. Treasury, our lives have been touched by government during this pandemic. With any luck, the partisan hackery, political gamesmanship, futile spending, and reckless budget cuts will end. So, to summarize this learning, I would say 
we establish governments for a purpose. Despite the frustrations we feel from time to time about our institutions, they are essential. Our frustrations should be used to improve them, not eliminate them. The third and final learning, perhaps the most distressing of all, is that the ideas and ideals that make our nation unique are stressed. Democracy relies on a balance of power and the initiative of those we elect to public office. The social and economic fissures of our society have been stripped and they lay naked for the world and us to see. Equity remains an elusive goal as we have failed to democratize opportunity. In summarizing this third and final learning, I would say the pandemic alone created social stresses, but the recent killings and public demonstrations of frustration, pain, and anger require a higher standard than we've seen from many politicians, while local and in some cases state leaders have stepped into the breach many of our national leaders are failing us. And I want to expand on this issue for just a moment. I draw a very clear distinction between the peaceful protests that we saw during most of the daytime marches and the violent episodes that took place at night. The protests draw attention to the deep-seated frustration over the inequities in our society and the conditions that were imposed by design on many minority communities, but which persists today as a result of both legacy and apathy, if I'm being generous. Reporting has come forward in recent days that require us to take a deeper look at what's unfolding in our cities. It would appear that the violence we see is a combination of an anguishing cry for help by some and an opportunity taken by others to exploit the extreme tensions that are present. Now, do not underestimate the complexity of this violence, looting and destruction. It's not hard to believe that organized political and state players are exploiting the genuine anguish people are feeling to advance political chaos and disruption. While many of our leaders are quite content with nice progressive slogans about what we are as a country, there are long-standing contradictions between those slogans and the reality for minorities, particularly African Americans. Race and class have been criminalized, and our communities have been over-policed and over-incarcerated. The frustration over the disparities have been on display recently for all to see. As a community, until we seriously attempt to address the underlying issues, we should logically expect repeat performances, perhaps with ever-increasing intensity. So, instead of focusing on the symptoms, I suggest we get outraged over the decades, rather centuries, of destruction of lives of so many people that have been sentenced to live in communities that rob them of any opportunity to pursue their full potential. These communities that I'm talking about, deeply minority, most often African-American communities 
offer an excess of negatives. Those negatives include concentrated poverty, criminalization of poverty, underperforming schools, lack of access to essential technology, something that's critical for any future progress, poor transit connectivity, disproportionate presence of environmentally contaminated sites. In other words, they're likely to live close to landfills and sewer treatment plants and so on in greater proportion than any other communities. Lack of healthy food choices, poor access to quality health care, lack of access to meaningful jobs, careers, and entrepreneurial opportunities, and of course, the same lack of affordable housing in healthy communities that seems to be a problem the whole nation can identify with. So you take all of those negatives and say we have built communities around those kinds of conditions, and then we express surprise that the outcomes are devastating. We really shouldn't be surprised. In our economic system, we cannot guarantee equal outcomes, but we certainly can and should be vigilant about offering equal opportunity to all of our citizens. In conclusion, our vision of ourselves has been challenged. We have a lot of work to do if we're ever going to live up to that vision. With that, we're going to wrap up this first season of Create the Village. We appreciate you, our audience. We understand you have a lot of choices, and we're thankful you choose to listen to our podcast. Visit us on Facebook at Create the Village. Leave a message, share our page, and like us. Please be safe. We'll talk with you again in July. Thank you. Create the Village is produced by Rick White, directed and edited by Brennan Robison. Create the Village is a production of The Integral Group, LLC. Copyright The Integral Group, 2020.